everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the equalizer podcast i am your host claire watkins joined this week by jeff kasuf how's it going jeff doing well looking forward to uh one final week of regular season chaos yeah so maybe let's start like with the chaos question and i definitely felt this weekend like i thought last weekend or last week last midweek game um last wednesday was like a fun amount of chaos we're going through all kind of these wacky possibilities for elimination or for like ties that could possibly have you know someone tie for first and still miss playoffs and i think that's been broken um this weekend the chaos felt a little bit like not everybody but it felt like a couple of teams where the wheels maybe were coming off a little bit we saw some eliminated teams have some of their worst games Um, We saw some teams in the playoff race really not show up, Um, but we're not actually even going to start with that, but, but maybe that's just like the first question here with, for you, Jeff is when you say chaos, how much of it is good chaos and how much of it is like, I've been on the tilt a whirl too long and I'm going to puke chaos. (laughs) Well, look, I I think overall from a league perspective, I mean, I I wrote this a couple weeks ago in our, our column, like, you know, That is entertainment. I think the word itself, you know, people, it's kind of a polarizing word at this point, like people who have this opinion that the quality of the league isn't very good, hear that and think that's like a negative connotation. And, and then obviously those of us who follow it and know that it's, you know, it's really uh, a synonym for parody, um, Mm -hmm. which I would argue is a synonym for entertainment. And like, there is, there is nothing like this league in terms of, the parody that you have to be coming down to the final weeks of the regular season, you know, up until the last midweek game where you've got the potential, at least for a seven way tie. I mean, even now shield could go three ways, like, you know, from a league level as a neutral, if I'm sitting there in a league office, I think that's a win from a, you know, from an individual team standpoint, which I know we'll kind of get into those. um, You know, I think certainly you can look at a bunch of elements. I think there are teams who, you know, feel like they have been kind of put through the ringer by the schedule and that's, you know, finally catching up to them this late in the season. And they're still playing these three week games. I mean, you know, uh, the rain were one of those teams or maybe are one of those teams, but also just, just won three straight on the road in eight days. So, you know, I think that um, the answer varies by team, but certainly um, at a league level, if you're a neutral watching this, you know, it is purely entertaining. And, and that's frankly what, you know, a sports league is supposed to be. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too. And we're going to get into this conversation of the four teams that did clinch playoffs uh, this week, which maybe you look at that and you go, no, it's normal. You know, 20 games, 21 games, they're clinching playoffs. We went back. um, I think it was Steph, Steph Young, who uh, found out that I think they said that North Carolina in 2019, I think clinched in their 19th game. And we had our first clinching in a 20th game. So it, even just timing wise, not horribly out of sync with what we've seen in the past, but it's definitely something where it feels like it's difficult to identify trends. Like you mentioned, OL rain, um, maybe someone's impression of OL rain from literally a week ago to now could change dramatically. Right. Um, and some of that is teams kind of honing in towards playoffs. Some of it is teams. I think we're seeing a lot of fatigue for teams that have had to go to depth a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but, so let's start with this. Let's start with the team that clinched first and hilariously, there was some confusion <laughs> as to their clinching at the time, which was that, uh, I think we all believed, and I understand why, just because sometimes things fall through the cracks. Cause we're just people with human brains. It, we all believed that Portland needed help from angel city and North Carolina to, clinch playoffs on Wednesday as it turned out because of the nuance of the schedule of Chicago and angel city playing each other, Portland did, uh, they successfully ensured playoffs on Wednesday. So this is another thing that happens to the end of USL frequently. Okay. Is we have all this parody, all this parody. We see the table rise, table fall, table rise, table fall. However, when you look at season's end, year over year, the same teams tend to be at the top, 
right? We had a number of years where North Carolina was at the top and then maybe Portland was second, or you had a number of years. We, you know, Portland seems on the road to what is this? Their fourth shield, third shield. Um, so for you, Jeff, do you think that this was still a year where yes, it's close, but you know, the, the same kind of programs that have been, um, top contenders for a long time rise to the top? Or do you think that with Portland now in pole position playing Gotham in their final weekend for shield, this is just actually, there was a lot of true parody. Portland just happened to still be the best team. Yeah, that's a good question. And I will add that we all thought that because the league told us that about the playoff scenarios. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That is a problem in itself, but, um, look, I, I mean, I think there are similarities to last year here, Portland on top going in the final weekend, the rain suddenly, you know, as you alluded to, after maybe a, an up and down summer, are are surging into that second position, could chase them down. That's exactly how last year played out, mm-hmm. um, and in you know, in slightly you know nuanced different ways. But you know, overall, the parity has been there. I mean, Kansas City is you know could still pull off a worst to first at minimum. They're you know worst to playoff position clinched berth, potentially even a home game as a top two team. So, you know, add San Diego to that mix who's a brand new team, Houston, you know, I guess we shouldn't speak too prematurely, but you know, Houston, not quite clinched, but looks you would think to be on the path there this weekend. And, you know, for the first time ever. So I think all they need is a point. Is that correct? They need a they point. Just, yeah. 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 And, and that's assuming, you know, other teams don't get results even. I mean, they can right. still sort of back their way in, um, yep. which would be, you know, we can get into that, but like, you know, so, so there are plenty of new teams, you know, Portland being on top uh, at least at the moment and, you know, in the pole position for the shield, I mean, look, that's been the case because of the games in hand. That's actually been the case for some time. We're just Mm -hmm. finally level on games, you know, played. Um, I think that's impressive in the sense that there was a lot of, I mean, there were on and off field questions, many of which still remain certainly off field, right? That Mm -hmm. the transition away from Mark Parsons to Rian Wilkinson was uh, one that came at a time when the organization at large had and has a lot of questions yeah and you know how that affects players you know we don't really know and, and then on top of that well Wilkinson, half their starting midfield also was not available right. for most of the season yeah right Lindsay Horan on loan yeah. Crystal Dunn has just come back so yeah. those questions and then Wilkinson comes in and, and goes straight to a completely different system which she then realizes you know and I'm, I'm to her credit here I should be clear you know, isn't quite working how she wants it to and flips that mid season. So mm-hmm. I think in that sense, as much as everything is looks the same at the end here, um, there's actually been quite a bit that's happened specifically in Portland as we're talking about this season. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the one other thing that I, I'm just taking a look here, um, just in terms of goals allowed, I think that when you talk about sort of the system changes, we've seen we have seen Portland have to rely on some of their depth in, in the defense, right? They've basically not had Emily Mangas all year. Um, Kelly Hubley has stepped up in a huge way. We know that they've got this ridiculous like goals for, right? And actually I'm like looking, I'm looking at goals for and goals against, and this is interesting. Um, North Carolina has reached Portland in goals scored, which is really remarkable, but um, they have this, you know, this wild plus 25 goal differential. Um, and it feels like they're playing some of their best soccer now, which I don't know that we've always seen, like that was a a frequent criticism of Mark Parsons, Portland was they would be really well constructed at the beginning of the year. And they would have the depth to find their way through periods of time when internationals were away. And then they would hit a plateau in the, in the latter third of the season, but based on their results, maybe even win the shield or get a home playoff game, but then struggle in the playoffs. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think that Portland's better set up to make a deeper run this year? Maybe, um, you know, I, I would sort of counter that with, I think they had a poor August and yeah, that's you know, right. I, I do think, you know, to that point yeah. to Portland specifically, and, and just this conversation we're having, I mean, I know, you know, I've talked a lot about that sort of those dog days of August type of period in this league that every team goes through. And uh, we're on the other side of that now, obviously. And I think some of these teams that we're talking about, or we'll talk about, like, we've seen how they've responded and, and some of them have flipped a little bit. Many of them are trying to make surges and, you know, Portland had that rough August, came back and, and has looked a lot better in September. So, you know, I think as much as any year, I don't know if it's more than any year, but certainly as much as any, this is a season where the form at the given moment, you know, right up until 
the week after next when we get into the actual playoffs is going to be as important as any sort of how'd you finish in the table, how many points, how many goals for, I mean, obviously that all resets anyway in the playoffs, but you know, I think, you know, we can get to it, but like I I look at who's clinched and and who might be in that semifinal picture, let's say, and a lot can still change over the next few weeks, but you know, in terms of peaking at the right time, like we have a lot of question marks here with San Diego who spent, I mean, the wave spent 13 weeks this season at the top of the table and will not win the shield. That's, you know, tough in a vacuum, but obviously expansion team they're in, that's all they probably really care about at the moment. But like, you know, are they now entering the playoffs with Alex Morgan, not at 100%. It sounds like that was just a game time decision. Maybe not serious. Sounds like the Abby doll Kemper injury is serious. And then we saw the replay on Taylor Korniak. I mean, at a minimum, that's a, heavily taped ankle for a while. So, um, you know, how, what does that mean for a team that I would say, you know, up until I'm not even going to say I changed my answer, but I would say the course of the whole season, Mm -hmm. the best team in the league, Yeah, but, or or at least a very good argument for it. But now if those are factors for the next few weeks, I have some questions. Well, it seems like those questions are kind of, they're kind of throughout these. Well, well, let's, let's expand a little bit, right? So Portland, um, they uh, ensured playoffs on Wednesday. OL rain, Kansas city and San Diego all got playoff spots this weekend. Um, Kansas city and OL rain got them on two really good wins. San Diego got it on kind of a wild comeback draw, right? Against Orlando. It looked for a second, like San Diego might not clinch playoffs just by way of sort of this, this odd result um, against Orlando. But, you know, you look at the the records, right? All four teams that are in playoff positions now have 10 wins. So they all have the same amount of wins. The difference in points are, are just three. We're still truly, I mean, depending on what, truly depending on what happens final weekend, we could see a team win the shield on goal differential or on a tiebreaker, which I think would be really fascinating and very fitting for this year. Um but going back to that uh, player availability element, and it was very stark for San Diego, but Sophia Smith ended this game against Chicago being tended to by trainers, right? Sophia right. Smith has been actually vocal this week about how it's really physically taxing for her to play these games because she does get fouled a lot. She finds herself in collisions a lot. And I don't think it's always a guarantee that some of these major playmakers are going to be 100%, especially because playoffs start, as we all know, right after that big international break. And so maybe if you are someone who's dealing with a lingering injury, maybe you push for the U S but maybe you come back and you're only 45 minutes fit, you know, or you're just nursing something. And I do think that could be a factor. And those are the kinds of game day decisions that we're not going to know until they happen. I mean, I always go back to last year, right. Where, um, you know, Chicago played their semifinal without Mal Pugh or, you know, whatever season ending injuries might occur <laughs> at the end of a season. Like you forget those things, yeah. right? I mean, we <laughs> didn't even know really if she was playing there. in the final, right? Until Yeah. Um, and, and so I think to your point, it's very hard to predict, but I will, now I'm going to flip over to the teams that I feel like really good about, which are OL rain in Kansas city. I think that I've been daring OL rain all season to kind of put this run of form together. And I think they're unbeaten in their last six, seven, something like that. Um, And I thought that this week was really impressive from them. They're not blowing teams out, but they are taking that next step of not just sort of playing beautiful soccer and playing a competitive game, but they're playing this style of soccer that they want to play and and they're winning. And I think that win over Mm -hmm. Houston was a really big one. So I like OL rain a lot. What do you think? So for OL rain, I think it's funny for the fans, right? Because a shield is great, but they've been there before. They've never won the championship. Right. right. So what are your thoughts on this OL rain, their possibilities of, of being that team? Yeah. Six unbeaten since that loss to Houston in August when, and I, I asked, I asked Laura Harvey about this, I guess it was the midweek game after that one. And, and she sort of referenced that as that turning point that they had a decision make to make of, you know, do they want to be a decent team or do they want to really push here? And, you know, they've obviously, I mean, anybody would make the decision one way, but you have to actually then go do it. And and they've obviously done that with this big road trip specifically. Um, You know, I think at a minimum, I really, I think we've all sort of poked around this idea um, and maybe you and I have even talked about this months ago on this podcast, but like as much as maybe they're not saying it and, and maybe that narrative will change a little bit, maybe they'll admit it if they get to the final, like this is the year 
Yeah. If you're the rain, right? I mean, you've had that, those, those disappointments of 2014, 15 still lingered to the degree that same coach, you know, many core, you know, enough core players, veterans still remaining from it, key players that are, you know, still that. Um, And you've got, you know, a lot of them at the twilight of their career, whether that's, this is it for them, whether that's next season, whatever it is, you know, contracts that come up, this is the year for them. And I think, um, I'm interested to see how the weight of that maybe plays into things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought, you know, they were the the favored team with the two seed last year, and obviously it didn't happen. And I think that was a um, big upset. And I think that I think they did not. They still carry that with them. I think yeah. they very much are carrying that loss with them this year. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of that Chicago conversation there in that, you know, how long did it take the Red Stars to break through that semifinal wall? And then right. obviously the final and the first time they get there was, you know, a disaster and um, the rain have been deeper than that in the past, but mm-hmm. the same idea of that sort of stumbling block of not having a star over the crest, you know, I, I wonder how that weighs. And there's, pl- there's enough veterans there that that shouldn't be a problem, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's not something they're going to be able to ignore. And, and you know, I, I think that this is this is going to be very much a sort of make or break. I don't know that means blow up the roster, but in terms of opportunities, this is it. Yes, I agree. Well, and as we've seen, and it's working pretty well for them, you know, they're not, they're doing a decent job of integrating some younger players in, but they are relying on those veterans. This is this veteran team and those are their playmakers. And I think they also have, this is, I think for me, the best I've ever seen Rose Lavelle play over the course of an entire NWSL season. And um, she's really the motor that makes everything go. And so that's been really fun to watch as well. Um, And then flipping over to Kansas city, Kansas city to me is like, I don't know if they, like I said, I really think, you know, I would be surprised if Portland did not beat Gotham at this point, but you know, maybe not a shield winning team, but I think they are maybe, I said this Mm -hmm. last week, the number one team you maybe don't want to play in the playoffs other than maybe North Carolina, if North Carolina makes it, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the current are a very hard team to beat. Um, and I just think, again, you look at the momentum, you look at the fans they had in the stadium yesterday, you looked at the way that they're playing with sort of that free flowing joy. They had a little bit of an advantage over a Washington team that looks about ready for the season to be over, but I like Kansas city a lot. So for, for you, Jeff, do you think that they could be the real dark horse in this conversation of making it all the way to the end? Yeah. I mean, I guess depending on where they finish, I don't know if we could even sort of appropriately tag them as that, yeah, but you know, I, I thought the, you know, that blowout loss in Chicago was a red flag for me. They've obviously mm-hmm. responded well, um, quite well on Sunday here, but you know, my, and maybe, maybe that's, you know, maybe that was an anomaly that result. I mean, the 13 game unbeaten streak before that obviously speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. The margins here are very fine. As we know, they're still, you know, they're still plus one. So, I mean, they've got to go win that game to win the shield. So, right. you know, they could win the shield with a plus two goal difference in theory here. True. Yeah. Um, true. So, you know, and, and I, I just wonder um, it's slightly unfair to wonder how sustainable that is given a 13 game unbeaten streak, but you know, you look at um, I look at Gotham last year and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the conversation, the goal difference, the, ability to get out of games with some kind of result that maybe you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've, I've felt like at times that has been mildly applicable to Kansas city. I'm not saying that explains all of their success. So let me just be clear to anybody slamming a desk right now, but um, you know, I wonder what that means in a knockout situation with those fine margins, right? Because, you know, let's say you come up against the Portland, whether that is, maybe that's a final per se, but um you know, some of these teams that are really clicking and flying. And I do think Kansas city as a whole has put together a very good season um, and has put together a very good team and is, is, you know, is operating well. Um, But, you know, you go down, I mean, it's a team that like you go down a goal and and then what, I mean, um, I think that's my question there going into it. I'm not saying that, you know, this is not one of the contenders clearly, but I, I think that's been my question with these fine margins they've been operating under. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Um, we've seen that work and we've seen it not work. Right. Like I think it, it's very hard to tell, which maybe it maybe all I'm saying is just tune in <laughs> to Kansas <laughs> city's playoff game, because I think that that one could really be an interesting one rather than we've seen some playoff games get a little bit, 
too gritty, maybe a little bit too rough, but I think that Kansas city should be, should be interesting. So we, we waded into this slightly um, as we've been sort of talking about this top four San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, you were saying top team in the league this year for a long time um, on on the back of like good coaching for sure, but also just their playmakers making plays, right? Mm. They, they've really optimized performances out of a number of players in a really impressive way um, in a clear, clear fashion, I think, which is again, part of why it's so impressive that an expansion team has done this well. Um, Is it all just down to player availability for you, Jeff, in terms of their, their chances and late, late in the, in the postseason? Uh, yes, in short. I, I mean, you know, you look at the dependency upon Alex Morgan, um, 15 goals of, what is it, uh, 32 that they've scored now. So it was half going into this game and, and a game that she didn't even dress for. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think availability there, you know, the Dahl Kemper injury, hopefully it's not serious. It, it seems to be looking that way, but we don't have confirmation. You know, you can make the argument that Kaylee Real has been more often the starter. So, you know, maybe that's something that you can deal with. Corniak has been very, uh, very important to them. I think Emily Van Eggman's actually been quietly mm-hmm. the most important, perhaps, in, in many ways. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe not more important than Morgan, given the goals. But, um, you know, she's played every minute. You know, she's she's been that engine in there for them. So um, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they, they manage Friday. And I, I frankly, I mean, I think I tweeted this in real time when we thought that they were about to lose to Orlando. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, they are very fortunate that they are going into Friday clinched because yeah. I would not want to play North Carolina right now. Nope. I wouldn't want to play North Carolina in the, the playoffs, the way that their form looks. And San Diego now has the ability to make a choice here, at least of how do we manage Friday? Because we are in. So now the question is they can't chase down the shield because right. if you're looking at the math, yes, they can get level with Portland, but they don't, the goal difference will never be made up. So, right. you know, now you're talking about, are we trying to chase a buy? And are we trying to get, you know, at least secure a home game in the first round? Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those things are very important, but not at the expense of the bigger picture of getting that final and winning it. So um, I think availability in short, yeah, is the question and, and how they manage that Friday is probably going to be fascinating. You know, also a funny thing, and I, this is me, this is 100% just me and not something I think San Diego will actually do, but hilariously their rivals, Angel City need them to win. (laughs) And I'm just like, it would be kind of funny. I think if they rotate, it will 100% be focused on them. They're not going to be the, you know, that gamesmanship is not going to go that wild, but there is just kind of this funny little hook to Mm -hmm. it. Right where if San Diego really goes for it, they're helping out, you know, they're helping out the team yeah, that, uh, well, that they're rivals with. And I let, just think that's a funny little wrinkle yeah. to it. Let me just get this out of the way. And I will say, if you want to read my full, like it's more, more organized than a rant, you can go to equalizersoccer.com. But like the fact that these games are spread over three days yeah. in year 10 is right. absolutely ridiculous. Right. I mean, there's no reason that that Chicago we will get to it, but there could be useless games yep. based on previous results, and yep. that should not be happening. Yeah, there could be two eliminated teams playing in the last game of the season, um, and in going into the weekend, they are not yet eliminated. And well, yeah, and going into the weekend, yeah. that should be arguably the most right. compelling game that right. could be rendered useless. I mean, it's yep. it's mind boggling. Yeah. Well, that's been the top four. Congrats to all of the playoff teams. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then we will talk about the four teams still in the race for just two more playoff spots. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jeff Kasuf. Going to say the thing. Please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you stream all our good Equalizer podcast content. It helps people find us. Discovery is really important. If you like the show, help us out. Help people find it. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review. Um, So this is probably where it gets a little bit more compelling, right? Because the top four, we know they're making playoffs, but so much is still really up in the air on who's getting the hardware, who's getting the home game, buys, that sort of a thing. Now, this bottom four, all fighting for six or fifth and sixth, just to give a quick rundown, Houston's currently in fifth with 33. 
North Carolina is currently in sixth with 31. Chicago is in seventh with 30. Angel City in eighth with 29. So these, maybe let's start at the bottom and then we'll work our way up. These losses by Chicago and Angel City. I don't think anybody was expecting Chicago to like go into Portland and, you know, rock, rock the thorns or anything like that. But they did play a really competitive game against OL rain on the road um, just a few weeks ago. Uh, But they bigger than the sum of its parts, right? Not just a loss, but what kind of felt like a demoralizing loss. They end with nine. Mm -hmm. Um, They have uh, outside back Bianca St. George is ejected for an out just basically an outburst against a ref right um in frustration and then zoe morse who has played every single minute for them this season in that defense uh got two yellow cards i think that first yellow was soft but it is what it is um those players will not be available in the game against angel city uh next sunday and then angel city you you go into nwsl you think maybe you have winnable games they had a game at home, final home game against racing Louisville props to Louisville, you know, Louisville came in, um, with a, with a firm game plan and angel city just could not hold on. I don't know if it was nerves, pressure or fatigue. It's really hard to say for both teams. So maybe my question for you, Jeff is, do you think that you're, that what we're seeing with these two is just sort of the final side effects of their availability reports of results that have or have not gone their way and it's just those fine margins where things are slipping what's your take on on what we saw from chicago and angel city this weekend yeah i i guess firstly i'd agree you know the chicago the result was one thing the you know the implication on next week yeah you know saint george in particular you know with the preventability of that right um is a, a big problem for them i mean i i you know the fact that I don't think they're super deep at center back. I think that's part of the conversation of playing the three back, which they've done really well. Well, they're, they're um, literally out of center. Backs. Right. Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> I guess I was being friendly and generous yeah. to them about this, yeah. you know, the, their, th- their three back formation has really been, you know, a product of uh, necessity. It's to some degree. And yeah. you know, for her to be missing on top of St. George, you know, I, I think that there's real problems there for, for that final. I think it'd be pretty miraculous given what they need to do to jump teams and to, to get the job done. But um, you know, seventh and eighth respectively, if you said to me at the beginning of the season um, before we saw a ball kick, I think I'd probably say that that could be the case. Yeah. Um, I think know, that's fair. I, I mean, right. Angel city has been hovering. I mean, I just saw the the sort of graphical representation. They've been sitting in seventh for something like seven straight weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that um they have, I think it's pretty much on par. Like, I think that they've overachieved at times this season. I've been impressed with the the way that they've been able to sustain some of that in, in a way that suggests, you know, w- would be a rebut against whether that is overachieving or that really is kind of their level. And, and my only real qualm with everything has just been they need more depth mm-hmm. um, in, in certain positions. And, and once they have that, I mean, I think they have the quality at like a base 11, mm-hmm. um, but it's the depth and, and that's, you know, to your question and your point, like this is the point of the season where maybe that comes into question and and maybe you start uh, seeing some of the side effects of that. And, and a lot of that is like intangible hypothetical, right? Like how tired is that starting 11 or, or how much more tired is angel city starting 11 than Louisville's or mm-hmm. Chicago's. I mean, I don't know that we, without the sports science data that they have, are going to know that. But, you know, I I think that there is an element of that. But I I think that this is sort of around where we might have expected these teams. Chicago going through a huge turnover, a lot happening off the field in the offseason, obviously. Angel City, a brand new team that, you know, let's not forget, like, this team was bad in the Challenge Cup. I've been Mm -hmm. impressed with how much better they are in the regular season than they showed. And that's without Gilles, who hasn't played in forever and is now on loan. So, right. um, and that's without press, obviously getting hurt. Then LaRue gets hurt as her replacement. So, you know, I, I've been impressed with what they've done, but you know, is seventh and eighth about right. It feels like it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they still have a chance at the playoffs. So I think you look at that as sort of playing with house money. I mean, they're not going to look at it that way, obviously, but from the outside, I think you can say that. Right. So when we look at chances and I'm, I'm, famously very bad at this but i think this is true which is that chicago has more avenues to playoffs than angel city does 
Um, for Angel City, it's not a clear-cut win and you're in. They do need North Carolina to lose. They need North Carolina to um, to get no points out of their game against San Diego because that would put North Carolina at 32. Right. Angel City is at 29, and they're not going to make up goal differential with North Carolina. They're far, far and ahead. Um, whereas Chicago also it would be helpful for them if they get a win for North Carolina to not win. If North Carolina only gets a draw, that still leaves the door open for Chicago to leapfrog them with a win. The other possibility, not, I just, I don't wish this for the Houston dash, but it is possible (laughs) that if Houston loses the goal differential between Chicago and Houston is only three. So it would just need to be a combination of three to four goals uh, conceded or scored on either end for Chicago to rise above Houston at 33 points on a goal differential tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Now I don't want that. Um, I would like Houston to make it. They play the spirit. The spirit have been incredibly up and down over the last month. Um, they were pretty open this weekend that they're, they're purely doing evaluation for 2023 right now. So mm-hmm. if uh, a planned starter for 2023 that they have locked in doesn't feel great, they're not going to play. So I think that that looks good for Houston. Um, Houston just needs anything, any points. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe focusing, you you focus a little bit more on Angel Sydney. I think that's all true. I think that Angel City, I think the players that they have had out there on the pitch have truly given their all this season. And that has been very cool to see. Um, but those, those intangibles, right. That extra piece of depth, how do you chase a game? How do you control the pace of a game? How do you, um, start a forward that is healthy? You know, those kinds of things, I think ultimately make a huge difference at the end of the season. Um, so for Chicago, well, maybe this is a better, this is the better way to sort of end this talking about seventh and eighth. Do you think there's a winner? in this last game between Chicago, let's say that the scenarios work. Let's say North Carolina um, gets a point or something like that, right? They don't push playoffs out of reach, or let's say North Carolina wins, but Houston doesn't. And so Chicago goes into this needing to win by say two to clinch playoffs, right? Do you think the red stars have it in them to be able to do that in this final game? Or do you think the defensive absences are just too great? You know, I I think this season in particular, and we saw this a little bit last year, is like do not count out Chicago. Um, let me put it this way: do not count out Mallory Pugh. Yeah, I think that's is fair. the way to put it, and and I think that therefore, um, you know, could carry Chicago even beyond a a level that they should be at, you know, as a team. So mm-hmm. I think that you know you just talked about it, right? Like among healthy players right now, does Angel City have that? I don't know. Does right. Chicago have that? Yes. I mean, I think, you know, arguably has the MVP, right. And yeah. and what she did against Kansas city, there it was. Right. So, um, you know, I think that there is an Avenue there. Yes. For Chicago. I think my only counter to that, and this is, I don't know how it will play out, but I think Pew, there are signs that Pew might be not be fully 100% right, right. now. Um, right. she, at later in games has had just some discomfort. You can just kind of tell. Um, and she had one shot um, in, in this last game against Portland where she pulled up a little bit and kind of had to take herself out of play for a while. Um, and she's playing. I mean, I think that she's, this is clearly a player committed to doing everything that she can to make sure the team does get above that playoff line. But the more maybe if you've got some, I don't know if it's like hamstring groin, some sort of um, soft right. tissue discomfort that can affect your, your ability to your, your explosivity, your shooting ability and people, you know, I, I mentioned Smith, you know, getting played pretty physically. So does Pew. So um, I think you're right. Yeah. I say, don't count out Mallory Pew, but I think there are some signs that you can see a little bit of the wear and tear on her as well. Well, Claire, real quickly, who's, you know, this better than anybody who's starting then at center back. <laughs> Oh, I think they're going to play um, Malazzo, Kowalski, and Wright in the three-back. But the issue is that Aaron Wright is still working her way back into fitness mm. from injury. So they're, I would not be shocked if we did not see – oh, God, who even would come in? In steps Wright? Vanessa DiBernardo. Yeah, I know. It, or Colaprico maybe slides into the center, and I don't know. It's, <laughs> I'll, 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 be, I'll say this. You know, This is not a, a Red Stars podcast, but um, I think that Chicago – 
could have done their players a big favor if they had been a little bit more aggressive in the transfer market once they lost both Sharples and Davidson. Mm. Um, and I think the pressure placed on that three back has been immense. And so I yeah. can't say I'm surprised that they're having trouble at the end of the season, but I feel for them because I think they've been asked to do a lot um, in new roles that aren't necessarily fully suited to them. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be that starting three of Kowalski, Wright, and Malazzo. And then what happens if Wright can't go 90? I don't know, <laughs> but okay. we'll see. We'll see. Um, so moving up, let's talk about North Carolina. Dabinia, hat trick. Mm-hmm. Uh this team, you know, they, they do have that loss to OL rain in the middle of, uh, I think they've won, but they've won five out of their last six, I think is what it is. And they are only one win mm-hmm. behind the four that have clinched, right? They're just, um, they're four points out of playoffs or out of clinching playoffs right now, but they need, I think, like I said, if they went winning in, which is what they've been saying, right. Winning you're in, they have to like that matchup against San Diego. If San Diego does rotate. Um, any drop points does leave the door open for Chicago to overtake them. Uh, so what do you, what do you think, Jeff, you think North Carolina is going to be in our top six? I do. Um, and I, I wouldn't you think have they're just going to win and in, do you think they're going to win on Friday? Depending on that availability we're talking about with San Diego, I, yeah. I do. And I mean, even, even if they have the availability, I think that, you know, you have sort of, I don't say this as like complacency for the wave, but you know, they've got that cushion that. They didn't need to. I mean, we were 45 minutes from the wave going into Friday. Yeah, not precariously close, close to not yeah. even, you know, they could, they would have been in a position this weekend and not even qualify if they yeah. had lost in Orlando. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that North Carolina is arguably, obviously the hottest team in the league. You can see it, you know, the form they've been in over the last couple of months. And we talked about it. We kept waiting and waiting for those games in hand to be made up. Mm-hmm. They finally were. And with them, you know, they finally figured out they were playing, you know, you remember the August stretch, July and August, they were playing these three, three shootouts. They mm-hmm. just like could not manage a game at all. And part of the shift away from that to a little bit more defensively disciplined, better results has been a shift away finally from that box formation, which, you know, I mean, I was asking Sean Nahas about that a year ago. Like it did not look like throughout the entire off season with all the player turnover that they had the personnel to stick with that. They persisted with it. They won the challenge cup. I think maybe that didn't do them any favors in a sense, in terms of sort of thinking that that was the sustainable or still the, the formation and the mm-hmm. system that they needed. And they've gone into this four, two, three, one that, you know, is totally different. It's not what we've seen from North Carolina for since they've existed really. Right. Um, and it's pulled, you know, it's done some interesting things that you would sort of, maybe call a negative in that like it's pulled Deanna Ordonez really wide and really mm-hmm. deep at times. It's done that to Caroline even. And those are not things you want those two players specifically doing. Um, but it has worked as a whole. And obviously Dabinia, you know, I would add that, you know, respect to Gotham here, but 12 straight losses, six without a goal. Um, there's very much like that Boston breakers of past asterisk mm-hmm. when you sort of talk about some of these results, but that result is not in a vacuum for North Carolina. They've, they've been getting them left and right. And um, obviously have surged their way into a playoff position for the first time. So um, I, I do think that this is a team in the right form at the right time. I don't know if that means they go win a championship, but I do think it gets them into the playoffs. Yeah. To me looking at that six, seven, eight, so that North Carolina, Chicago, angel city, I'm like, I think for a neutral, you want North Carolina in these playoffs. I think that if you look at the possibilities of theoretically making that deep run and going to going to a championship, I think of those three, the team I'm looking at is North Carolina. Um, and, and it is impressive, right? We, we were talking about in July and August, like you said, those, those shootouts that they were tying or even losing by, by one goal and they were scoring so much, but they were also conceding so much and what they've moved into, like you said, it pulls some people out in in an, in an attacking way that means that it does maybe affect some of that individual efficiency but they've tightened things up down the spine of the team significantly and as we know that is almost more important in NWSL than being able to score goals and I think that that has been that that switch and you sure I think strength of schedule is part of it as well but um we're gonna maybe learn some stuff too in this last game right I think 
there is that loss to OL rain, which I think OL rain kind of handled the courage pretty well. Um, San Diego, that's also for them. This is a difficult task sometimes for a coach, which is, do you want to go into playoffs on a loss, right? Or, or a, a draw on a loss. What do you try to do to keep the team focused and confident going into those games? Um, so that game should be fantastic. And like I, like you said, um, it's too bad that its result will ultimately nullify perhaps um, the, the final game, final, just that sort of final one-off game on Sunday. Um, Mm -hmm. so now moving on to the dash. So the Houston of it all is really interesting to me. Thought their win against Chicago was great. thought it was really comprehensive, but now we're looking at Chicago's forum and going, "Mm, maybe Chicago is a little bit of an easier team to beat than we went into it thinking that they were, um, they've got one win in their last five, uh, two losses and two draws in that same time. Um, how do you feel about Houston? Again, they, they lose to this sort of surging OL rain team. There's no shame in that, but they need to get a win against, or they need to get points against Washington, which seems doable. But, and I think again, for them, that's club history, right? They've never made playoffs and that is a, a huge accomplishment. Do you think that their recent form has them trending in the direction that they want to be trending going into playoffs? No, not, not recent form um, and not trending in the direction they'd want Um, the deja vu of basically yet again, needing a point in Washington, DC on the final weekend of the season. I don't know. uh, Some schedule maker had like a sick mind there, I think. um, And the dash are not laughing. So, you know, they had that unbeaten run when Juan Carlos Amaros arrived. Yeah. I think that they've, they've had, promising stretches in terms of, you know, this trying to avoid the cliche of peaking at the right time, but we're talking about form here. I mean, I don't think that that's in their favor at the moment when you look at how they've performed mostly against other playoff teams. And and to your point, Chicago, you know, how do you kind of evaluate that result in retrospect maybe? Um, But you look at the loss to the rain, the loss to San Diego, um, seemingly a lot of teams have gotten into shootouts with Washington that, that shouldn't have maybe, but um, you know, I think that lately uh, it's the, the well has dried up a little bit. Obviously, Ebony Salmon didn't play over the weekend, and that's right, that made a difference. You know, th- yeah. that's a difference for sure. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't love where they are at as a whole. Yeah. Uh, but I think that they've done enough early earlier in the season that you know it's more or less. Um, well, not more or less. I mean, it's a point and in, right? So right. Um, it, it's it's doable. And I think that they've done enough earlier this season to to get themselves in. And they'd really have to they'd really have to blow it here. I'm just I'm as I'm I, talking, I'm thinking about how I was talking last year and, and yeah. this is how we were talking about that Sunday that they had to go know. to DC and they they couldn't get it done. So yeah. I want them, I want it to, I want them to flip the script. I want them to make it that. Yeah, right. I you have to hope again, just mentally, those players that were there last year. Um, just keep that out of your mind, right? It's like, you just got to ride the, the team has been much stronger this year. They're much stronger defensively. I think they have a good tactical plan, but I do want to actually talk about that. I want to talk about the tactics with Houston because what they were able to do against Chicago was, and I think the, the, um, the site put a piece out about this, about Houston's high line, right? About how the, um, way that they handle teams defensively is really strict discipline on that high line, that offside trap. And OL Rain exposed that a little bit. Um, so for you, Jeff, when a high line like that works or doesn't work, how much of that is about defensive execution and how much of it is just about attackers just always having a little bit of an advantage if they're able to time those runs right? I mean, I think they've executed it well enough defensively. You know, you look at how the rain played over the weekend and yeah, I mean, that is a team with the the right precision Mm-hmm. to to be able to break it down i mean that was you look at both goals for ol rain and quick one touch combination play in the midfield that then releases a bigger ball and and what they were able to do was draw that houston sort of higher pressure out and essentially leave that back four basically fully exposed in, in both of those scenarios and um i think the rain are a team that on the right day is particularly sort of adept for you know that that challenge. Um, so I, I think that that's, 
you know, something where um, the rain specifically and, and that opponent is, is a factor there. So, you know, you look at the weekend and say, okay, well, how's that going to work against Washington? Um, you know, the spirit that we kind of thought they were, I would say, could handle this well. They mm-hmm. still could. But, you know, the spirit that we've really gotten for most of the season, I'm not sure that I would be as worried about them. Obviously, the individual talents there. But, you know, to your points earlier about looking ahead to the year, what's that mean for the starting group? What's right. that mean for their execution? Um, you know, I, I think particularly if there's some younger players in there, I think Houston can keep with what they've been doing, put some younger, maybe less experienced is a better way to put it, less experienced players under pressure and and pounce early and and that would certainly go a long way i think for the mental side even to not be in a here we go again moment yeah i agree with that um so yeah just so two final wrap-up questions here question number one so it seems to me and i think i agree with this do you think that what we see now in this top six is going to be our top six at the end of the season yeah I, i would i would wonder if uh north carolina Pops Houston, but yeah, I mean, the, the order, yeah. I mean, the order up front, up top will change too, obviously. Yeah. So, but, but just, yes, you think these are the six teams we're going to see in playoffs? I do. I mean, I'm not going to labor on it, but I'm disappointed that like, we're not going to see that play out in some sort of simultaneous fashion, because I think Chicago angel city could be really interesting, but you know, I, I think we might get to the point where they're playing for nothing. Yeah, it's true. It's why you don't want to put yourself in a position of needing that much help. Right. Um, and then final question, and this is like a Mallory Pugh question, um, which is we're, we're getting into individual award season. Um, if Chicago doesn't make playoffs, how do you recontextualize someone like Mallory Pugh season? Well, she's an MVP candidate at minimum. Yeah. The, you know, I think that there's an argument, a strong one that she is the MVP. And I, I think you could even, you know, the semantics of sort of leveraging that towards like value to a team versus individual talent. I think she qualifies in both, but maybe, um, you know, specifically to Chicago, like remove her and what do you have left? And, you know, but I think you could say the same for, for Alex Morgan in San Diego, given how that's sort of played out. So um, I did, you know, I, I sort of, I don't know if prematurely is the word, but picked some awards a little bit early um, as the way the editorial calendar goes and, and had Morgan, um, I think we actually published that or ESPN published that the day that, you know, Pew went and scored twice and had an assist and another pseudo assist basically. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was, I think that was a statement from her, obviously since then, you know, as you mentioned, maybe laboring a bit, Chicago hasn't had the best results. So um, I, th- I think we've got to remove a little bit of recency bias from that mm-hmm. conversation in terms of like, what's the whole package looked like right. over the course of the season. And for me, you know, Dabinia should be in that. Yes. Sophia Smith should be in that. Um, mm-hmm. I think if we're looking at this from March or I guess, you know, the regular season being late April into May to now, I do think that conversation after you get through some other deserving people is probably down to Morgan and Pew. Right. Um, and I don't know that. I don't know if Chicago missing the playoffs necessarily should disqualify Pew from winning that, but obviously I would think in voters minds, it probably hurts. Yeah. I mean, we have seen, uh, eliminated teams, um, have MVPs before. I think like Sam Kerr, right. She got MVP as a member of sky blue. Um, and so, but that was when the playoffs had fewer teams. So it was a little bit of a different scenario for making playoffs. Yeah. I don't know. I Mm -hmm. think that goes back to the philosophical question of what is your MVP. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I think, you know, in, in the WNBA, they talk about win share a lot, which I think Mm. is a good way of looking at it as well, which is just, um, versus a a different, your average NWSL player. What is Is it like a plus minus? Yeah, exactly. What is your win share difference? And I think when you look at someone like Pew, I'm sure it's one of the highest in, in the league. Right. Um, but I think there is also somewhat of a valid case for like, well, an MVP should have successfully gotten their team into a certain position. I think that that should be a factor, but not the factor. So I do think that, yeah, coming down to it, I think it's an attacker's year for sure. Um, we didn't have that last year, but I think an attacker is going to win MVP. And I think that you could go back and forth a lot between, between Morgan and Pew. And I think that that um, is a valid conversation. So you know, I'll put my, I'll put it out there. I think next week we're going to have Portland thorns as our shield winner. Um, mm-hmm. 
and and then we're going to kind of turn to international break and turn to playoffs. But um, yeah. well, Claire, I was just going to say quickly, just for that conversation, the um, yeah, 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 go ahead. The you know, I think that's that's all valid, and the I mean, I don't like voting Golden Boot equals MVP. I hate doing that. I think that the way this year has played out, that it's it's a valid way to go. Not not defaulting to it, but just that that those things would line up this year in a higher scoring year, and and frankly, with some poor defending, I think over across the board that that's okay for me. Um, right. I would say just looking at FB ref and I've, I've made this like custom comparison chart that I just keep referencing as these games update. And like, I think goals plus assists minus PKs and the PKs sway this with what Morgan's um, sort of put out, but Pew is, is well above both Morgan and Smith in that category. It's actually Morgan's the highest if you keep, um, or actually it's still not the highest if you keep PKs in there, but um the per nineties there uh, mm-hmm. pews at 1.17 goals plus assists minus PKs. And then Sophia Smith at 0.86 Morgan at 0.82. So um, I think if you're, if you're in, if you're down to that argument, comparing them, that's certainly in her favor. Yeah. I mean, I think the, right. I mean, we can probably get into this, you know, that's something that everyone will be getting into more uh, in the future, but yeah, the, the, the thing with pew that's really interesting is that assist level, right. Where it's like, if you talk about goal, um, involvement right I think I think Morgan has 17 goal involvements which I believe is 15 goals and two assists if I'm 18 yeah 15 yeah, and yeah. three yeah 15 and three so she's got 18 goal involvements Pew has 16 um and I and I do think that that has to be part of the conversation as well which is just um what is what is acknowledging a more overall style of play um but I don't know I I kind of I, I might be leaning towards Morgan to be honest, um, for a number of reasons. Um, I know the PK conversation is, is part of it, but she wins some of those as well. And so I, I don't know, I, I go back and forth on it, but, um, definitely, uh, I think it's a fun debate. I think that we've had a lot of really cool performances by some big stars this year. And I think that that's a fun conversation to have. Um, and next time we will find out how all of this sits, uh, again, congrats to the clinch teams. Good luck to the, to the four still, still battling it out. And, uh, like you said, let's hope for, I would love for that game at the end of the weekend to mean something. Um, but then also you look at who it might be at the expense of, and I don't know if I feel great about that either. So hearts will be broken and dreams will come true and we'll just find out <laughs> next time. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for joining me. I've been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. And we will be back with you next time.